0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Troublemakers, a podcast by MakerMag, where we share the authentic stories of indie entrepreneurs. This is anne Laura. I'm the founder of MakerMag, and today I'll have a chat with a very special guest that I'm super excited to tell you all about. But before we jump into it, let me first thank our friends at Blockstack who are making this podcast possible. Blockstack allows makers to build applications where users really own their data, their identity, their content, and their connections. To give it a spin, go to blockstack.org slash makermag. That's blockstack.org slash makermag. And now on to our guest today. Super excited to have Lynn Tai with us. Hey Lynn, how are you doing?
1: Good. I was just gonna say Blockstack is also on key values. <laughs> so Amazing. <laughs> should really check it out.
0: <laughs> this is great. Yeah, we should uh, we should share a link at the end. So People can go and check it yeah,
1: out. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Awesome. Um, so it looks like you've lived like a thousand lives already. <laughs> I was reading it a little bit about, about you. And um, you're, you're a an PhD dropout. You've also been an EDM show producer. And uh, you're now a full-time entrepreneur. So we can talk a little bit more about Key Values, your current project later. But uh, before that, can you tell us a little bit about all of your past lives up until today?
1: Yeah. um, (laughs) uh, I'm not sure even where to start. Let's see. So I started in academia. I was studying neuroscience as a researcher. Um, I moved to San Francisco to get my PhD in neuroscience. Um, And this was mainly because I wanted to be a professor someday, like my mom, like my dad, like my older sister. Um, But then I ended up dropping out uh, two years in. And yeah, that was probably the first and biggest turning point in my life. Um, I think about it a lot because I learned a lot from that experience. But then after that, yeah, I kind of... Uh, the next thing I did was I drove for Sidecar, which was... A, it was basically Sidecar and Lyft back then. Uber X didn't exist, um, but it's basically just like Uber. Um, and then I did that for a little while. And then I did... I dabbled in this EDM <laughs> <laughs> space uh, very briefly, like maybe like three, four months. Um, and then... Yeah and then I you know traveled and then eventually my first real job and an introduction to the startup world uh was joining Homejoy which was an on-demand cleaning company. Um this is also in San Francisco and I joined as an operations manager and yeah it was that was a really really wild ride. It was a year and a half that felt like 10 years really cuz so much happened. Um uh but yeah and then it was at Homejoy when I realized that I you know maybe wanted to learn a different skill and pivot careers once again. So after Homejoy, I decided to learn how to code. I did a boot camp sort of. Um, I did a bootcamp, but then I I left in the middle kind of, <laughs> of that, um, but I did learn how to code. Um, and then I ended up freelancing and doing like uh, do consulting work as a freelance web web developer for a couple of years. And then after that is what led me to Key Values, which is um, basically the tool that or just the resource I wish existed when I started to look for full-time jobs myself.
0: And uh, what uh, what exactly was missing when you were looking for, for work? What inspired you to create key values?
1: Yeah, so I think, you know, I was just looking for... A, so I'd been freelancing and, I you know, after a couple of years, I was wondering maybe I should get a full-time job. Um, and for me, I've never, for whatever reason, I've never been interested in working at the Googles and Facebooks of the world. Um, I always had have had a strong affinity for smaller start, startups and smaller companies. I think I just like being... I like having... You know, jumping in early when you have like a million jobs to do, and um, a lot, there's a lot of unknowns. But the thing with joining a startup is that there's not much information about startups the earlier you join. Like if there's a ten-person company, there's just not as much information about them on the internet. And you know, of course, I, I guess I'm like shy to say this, but yeah, I mean, it's pretty known that most early-stage startups also don't have like a really locked-in, perfect. Interview process yet, you know they're still figuring things out, and so um, for yeah, I just for me the reason why you join a startup though is for the people, and it's hard to get to know who you'll be working with until you do you know the the cover letter application phone screens. I had some companies asking me to do like an eight hour take home test before wow. I'd get to talk to a full time employee there, uh, which was a little fresh. Yeah, it's like it's like kind of strange. I'm like I'm not even sure I really want to work here yet. It doesn't seem to make sense for me that to do to jump through all these hoops yet and so um yeah all i ever wanted to do was just get a sense of who my future potential coworkers and managers would be like and all that stuff is just buried under all of these things you have to do first and so um yeah key values is basically that it kind of reverses the steps of the interview process and um, gives you a, a look into what the day-to-day life looks like before you do commit to a phone call even or let alone the exhausting interview process Um, but yeah like I just wanted to know what my life would look like what time do people show up do we eat lunch together do people work from home sometimes like what does the code review process look like Um, yeah I just kind of you know basic questions really but then also some of the more unique traditions and practices that companies often have
0: amazing and, uh, and this is one thing to see a problem and to try and, and fix it. And it's another thing to building an actual business around it. So can you tell us a bit more about the business model, how you're currently making money, uh, I've, you know, it's like one of the projects that we see, uh, you know, in the, the indie maker community, that's actually profitable. So it'd be great to hear a little bit more about that.
1: Yeah. So, um, the way that key values works is it's a subscription model. Um, so companies pay a flat fee for a full year. And when I first started charging, it was, I mean, I, I had no idea what to, what to charge. I was like throwing out numbers randomly. I think there's probably a better way to do this, but I was basically just price testing. Um, but yeah, today companies pay anywhere from $5,000 to $15,000 a year. And that's for the content creation um, and then listing their profile on key values on relevant landing pages um, and then, all, you know, I also feature them in my weekly newsletters, and there's several other things that I kind of do to help get their their page out there. Um, and yeah, I I think I, don't, I already forgot what other questions you had.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, it was just a question about the the business model. But it's it's interesting because the reason why they're they're paying you uh, is because you also, I assume, give them access to a certain audience, right? So it's like a two sided type of of product. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did you go about growing the actual audience and getting those eyeballs that would then allow you to charge companies to have a page on key values?
1: Yeah, that's a my. It's a really interesting question because it's definitely not a past tense question. Like I'm still. I think that is the hardest part, the crux of any, any, any job board really. But certainly something like key values is to how do you get developer traffic and um, something that I still work on, but I really lean on SEO and content marketing. Content marketing probably is the, the number one thing. Um, but over time, there's been a lot of other, like, I think word of mouth has been really kind. Twitter, social media has been super kind. And also, I'm, I think there's something that I think a lot about is just like these flywheels um, and just trying to do things that kind of like putting. So as an example, if I create a company's profile, if the way that I write that is that the company that also wants to share that profile. So companies also drive traffic to their own profiles. And then oftentimes, not always though, um, people, if they go to see, you know, let's say blocks X key values profile, they'll end up kind of wandering around the site and then they'll land and read a couple other profiles. And so I think it also, there's like some, some network effects in that, in that regard. Um, but yeah, I was going to also say that I also leverage a lot of, channel like like where do you how do you create an audience of X um, the first thing to do is look at and consider all the other audiences of X that exist on the internet um, and so if I'm looking for you know senior engineers software engineers specifically um, you know there's hacker news already uh, there's there's subreddits that are interesting there's a lot of niche you know slack communities or um, Twitter lists um, there's publications like hacker noon or dev.2 um, there's lots of other communities online that kind of speak to this and cater to this, to this audience, so it's helpful if you do write content to then also cross post, um, or just even be an active member in any of those communities as well.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And um, you and you learn how to code, and now you're doing content and all of these different things. Um, how do you <laughs> how do you go about acquiring these these new skills? Like, what's your learning process?
1: Oh, man. Yeah, It's really, I mean, it's funny. The reason why I always wanted to work at early stage startups also was this was just like, hey, there's a job that needs to be done. Can you figure it out? And it's like, I guess so. You'll just try. Um, writing, it's probably the most transferable skill that I got from my PhD days. Um, we had, you know, you had to write papers, you had to write grants, you had to write, like, there's a lot of communication that's um, written. Uh, but then everything else is you just kind of just jump in flail around a little bit Um, everyone has their own learning style for me I've always been it's like I've never been the person that you can just give a textbook and then I can just read it cover to cover and somehow know how to do everything that's just not the way that I learn Um, I learn best by uh, having someone to talk I like Learning through talking, but also having someone who can help answer questions—that was actually a large reason why I did the boot camp that I did to learn how to code. Was just that I ask lots of questions, and sometimes it's hard to answer those questions just through Google um, and reading other, you know, materials. So I always w- I wanted to like essentially pay for people, instructors, to answer every question that I had. Um, and then in terms of everything else with key values, like I've I've I'm not shy at all to ask for help. Um, so if someone, I don't know, I'm trying to think of an example. So actually for sales, I had, um, help, um, I had met someone who had a lot of experience in sales. We actually just met for a different reason. And then at some point I was like, you know, can I just hire you, pay you like an hourly rate for you to be my consultant? Um, and that ended up to be probably like a, like one of the best things I could have done, uh, for, for my business. Cause I, you know, even, even with his coaching, it took me about a year to learn sales, I'd say, to like really feel confident in the sales process. Um, but yeah, everything else I'm not even sure. I, I'm not even sure I would say I really learned it. I'm kind of still figuring it out. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, so yeah, you're mentioning this person that's helped you with with sales. Have you ever considered finding a co-founder to maybe complete your skill set and like you know just make it easy to grow the business together?
1: Yeah, I you know people ask me this a lot. I actually really have no problem finding. I was never like I'm not going to find a co-founder. But I think for me, I knew that finding a co-founder is is a much, it's a lot like getting married. (laughs) You don't just like randomly find someone to play the role. Um, And I just never found someone that felt like a good fit. Um, Granted, I didn't try super hard to look. I think I just, yeah, just to tell you, when I started Key Values, it kind of started as like a side project almost, just like a little something, something to keep my attention, you know, I don't know, just something like fun. I didn't really Know if it was going to turn into a business from the very beginning, although I, you know, wanted to make sure it had the potential to. Um, so yeah, it didn't seem like I needed a co-founder because I wasn't necessarily starting a business yet. Um, so, um, but yeah, I mean, I think I'm still open to finding co-founders in the future if I ever start another company. I'm definitely not opposed to working with other people. It's just about finding the, the right the right person. And I, if anything, actually, I was just going to say in the last year or two, just being friends with lots of founders and working with lots of different companies, it does seem like co-founder disputes is a huge reason why companies. Yeah. Like maybe not fail, but just like there's huge, huge hiccups. And so um, it's really like, I definitely feel like it's even more important to find the right co-founder before jumping <laughs> in, into marriage. No, definitely.
0: <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's a huge problem for, for startups. Lots of people think that they absolutely need to find one. So they will just, you know, Start a company with someone for the sake of saying that there are two people working on it, which is not good.
1: I think it really also depends. Like, if I was building something that I needed expertise in some domain that I did not, maybe even just like industry domain um, and industry knowledge, you know, I probably would have felt more like that, but I felt pretty good that I had a grasp on what key values covers. It's something that I personally think a lot about. And so I didn't feel as pressing. Um, I think it definitely, for anyone who's technical, I think that you can probably like you, it's, it's such a huge advantage because you can build something yourself. Um, and then even still there's like this whole no code movement now that maybe you don't even need to know how to code to, to actually build your product. Um, but yeah, I, I think that a lot of times what the, the role of a co-founder is, is to kind of just help you and anchor you through like the emotional highs and lows. And you can definitely find support elsewhere though. Um, there's a lot of other founders that are building things that understand like the the pains that you're going through. Um, and then also if you just have a good support network in general. And then in terms of um, advice, this is something that I actually learned mm-hmm. from maybe through Cortland who learned through Joel Hooks, but it's basically like, if you need help with some, like something, like if you you know want to talk to an SEO guru, master sensei, then you can just hire someone and have like yeah. hire them an hourly, pay them an hourly rate. There's almost nobody that I know that will say no to that. Like even someone who's never done consulting work before, you're like, can I pay you an hourly rate to just ask you a few questions for a couple of hours? They'll probably say yes.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and uh, so, yeah, right now you're, you're a solo founder. Mm-hmm. So uh, can you tell us a little bit about what your day looks like? What does a, a day in your life managing every aspect of your business on your own look like?
1: <laughs> um, I used to have like a pretty strict schedule. Like every Sunday I would spend three, four hours planning my week. Um, and so, you know, just like strategizing, um, I would only do sales calls on Tuesdays and Thursdays. I would leave Monday, Wednesdays, Fridays for like, you know, other, just like basically all the other things I'd have to do. Um, and then, I, yeah, it was pretty strict. I've kept to that. Recently, it's been a little bit more willy nilly. Like, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I just set a priority list and update it when I need to. Um, I definitely don't have like a strict of working hours. I'll do calls any day of the week right now. I just kind of experiment with it. But um, yeah, I'm usually juggling between just helping companies onboard. I spend a lot of time with each company, making sure that you know their profile really reflects who they are um, and does paint a good picture of, of the day to day life there um and then yeah and then of course on just the onboarding process but also getting to the sales part and closing customers to get to that point um i do i do 30 minute sales calls with every company that submits into key values um and so yeah that definitely takes time too um and then yeah there's all these little side projects that i like (laughs) pick up and put down um the other thing that i try to focus on is content marketing and i've done a pretty poor job of it this year i i constantly write blog posts and like articles that are 90% of the way done. And then I just am too much of a perfectionist. I like don't want to publish them until I feel (laughs) a hundred. But there's, there's just, I think I just kind of still am experimenting and constantly am experimenting with how I structure my days.
0: How do you find it so far, that the you know more flexible version compared to the more organized one that you had before?
1: I think it has to match my general mood. I, it's, I'm a very seasonal person, which sounds kind of crazy, especially since I live in California. Um, but mm-hmm. I think during the summers, I, I want to be outside more and I'm a little bit less like a, I guess during the winters, I definitely very consistently go into like a work hermit cave mode (laughs) and so it's like it just feels different i I have a lot more time that i want to be sitting in front of my computer so i kind of just it kind of just ebbs and flows depending on my general motivation and mood
0: where do you you work from actually you work from home or do you go to like uh, co-working places uh
1: yeah so i'm where i currently am i'm at my husband's office so he's also a startup founder and they're like one of the few startups ever that has extra office and meeting rooms um so I've been squatting out of here for for years like even when I was consulting doing freelance work I would work out of this this little office they've actually named this office now Lynn's Lair which is hilarious (laughs) I'm currently sitting in Lynn's Lair um yeah but then maybe a year ago I bought a standing desk for my at home and so I've been working from home a lot in the last year but I still sometimes work from from sensor tower which is where I am now um I can't do co-working spaces as much as I wish I could. It's just a little too distracting for me.
0: Yeah, it's not it's not for for everyone. It's the same with coffee shops. Exactly. I uh, I just end up watching people and not working.
1: <laughs> Which is no, yeah, coffee shops are great for people watching, but definitely yeah, not not necessarily the best for for focus. Yeah.
0: Um is there anything that you would have done differently uh, when building key values and like, you know, maybe either when you got started or when or you know trying to grow it
1: oh man yeah i think let's see starting from the very very beginning i think the the thing that i would have def like definitely changed and still advise people to do this now is to not be so guarded with my idea um i think in the beginning i was like really I don't I don't know why this is it's like everyone has this too if you have an idea you like want to get help and you want people to like talk to you about it but you also are really nervous that people are going to like steal your idea or something um and I think that's natural if you think about it because when you're just starting out all you have is an idea so you naturally feel pretty protective over it but I think all the paranoia of like you know don't don't I don't know. I used to be like, but don't tell anybody. Or like I would get nervous if I was talking to someone who was doing something remotely similar that they would like steal my ideas and stuff. Um, And I think it's just a, not very fun to just be constantly worried and paranoid, but also b it's really hard to get help if you're like not, if you're being very secretive. Um, So that's something I would definitely change. Um, And then I also think I might have started doing sales earlier um but also so i for like the first almost a full year all the companies that i onboarded onto key values were not paying customers it was just for free and i think that was really helpful in a lot of ways but i think i also should have started asking at least talking to them about what they would consider paying and like what the right pay structure would have been earlier on um yeah and i think a lot of people have the advice of like you should start charging immediately i still think that i i'm glad that i didn't do that just because it would have t- taken a lot longer to get you know 20 50 companies onto key values um, but I still would have at least started thinking about doing sales a little bit earlier
0: and uh, what when did you decide to to actually start charging was there something a signal or what made you yeah decide to go paid? true
1: truthfully it's because I start so I was I did YC um, winter of 2018 and they I just got pressure from my partners and from other founders in the batch to start charging and I think I like always I it was just really hard to flip the switch because before that, it was like, i if you looked at my calendar, it was completely empty. Like every single day was like eight to 12 hour block of just like work, workflow. Um, and then now it was like, oh, I have to do sales. I have to talk to people. I have to you know do all these emails. And I think it was just hard to transition at first. So I, I was really reluctant to do sales almost. Um, and I just needed some like external push just to focus on it because I could have probably just gone on. And on without doing sales for much much longer. Um, yeah. So yeah, it was basically pressure from YC, and I'm actually really really grateful for that pressure.
0: And how did you go about finding these first customers? Just cold emails, or did you ask for introductions?
1: Yeah. So the first, um, so the first companies that I brought onto Key Values were all outbound. Like Key Values hadn't even launched yet, and this is back when it was free. Uh, but then as soon as I launched Key Values, it was like a flip of a switch. I actually, it's really great. Um, I didn't realize how. Like unique this is, I guess. But basically, key values all the sales have been inbound ever since I launched in September of 2017. That's amazing. So, yeah, so it's like I, I unfortunately don't have much, you know, advice on how to do outbound or, not at least not much besides what I did before launching. Um, which is just to say that you should email. I think any warm intro is really helpful. If you have a friend who works at a company who, you know, can maybe recommend it to their recruiting team or whatever product you're selling to, maybe you're selling to their their sales team or marketing team. Uh, but asking for these warm intros really helps. Um, and then following up a lot. <laughs> like I legitimately mm-hmm. wrote emails that were like, hey, sorry, I know this is the seventh email that I've sent you unresponded to, um, but just wondering, blah, blah, blah. So I think persistence there is helpful. But then all of my first customers that were paying, I think I foolishly in the beginning tried to convert customers or not even customers, the people who are on Key Values for free into paying customers. And that's actually a lot harder than I expected Um, just because, I mean, it makes sense now that you think about it. If you're used to getting something for free, it's kind of hard for you to suddenly say, hey, now you have to pay. Um, So then I started focusing on just on every new company that I started onboarding, I started charging.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. It sounds like a a lot to track, like whether in terms of like, you know, managing your your inbox or the content and you know i suppose that you have to review it several times with your customers etc how do you keep all of this organized
1: yeah (laughs) you we talked about this before we started just the whole inbox (laughs) fiasco
0: Yeah, (laughs) this is
1: definitely what i not like a plug for superhuman per se but just like i think superhuman helped me mainly because when i was onboarded they helped they she just like uh The woman who onboarded me just kind of also gave me a bunch of tips for how to just manage your inbox in general. So I have a split, I've split inboxes, which helps me organize what emails to focus on and just how to prioritize, um, like less, like I have a social, um, folder, so that's like intros or anything, anything that's like not directly for business. And that kind of is deprioritized. Um, and then I also use Airtable to, to keep track of everything. so I, I know every company that I have, I know what stage they're at. I know when the last time I spoke to them was. Um, I know that like, you know when they close and how, if they've paid yet, just I like keep track of everything in Airtable.
0: Airtable is amazing.
1: <laughs> I know I'm excited about it.
0: Um, so just uh, to uh, go back to key value the the product itself. Uh, I was really curious browsing like there's so many values listed in there. Like, do you have any analytics as to what are the most popular ones? Like the ones that people search the. Uh, search for the most
1: so- yeah um actually i should pull this up right now i mean i'll see but from top from i looked at this when i first launched and it's been interesting I, I dig in every like i don't know maybe quarter just to see and it's it's surprisingly consistent in terms of what's popular and the two values that are always just i would say like i mean yeah most consistently most popular values are work-life balance and then also high quality code base yeah and then I think it's been interesting also in the last year, there's been more um, interest, I guess, in just diversity and inclusion. And I think that's matches what a lot of people seeing here. Um, and then of course, like remote work is really, people want to, you know, I think a lot of people are interested in remote work these days. Uh, flexible, flexible work arrangements is also similar to that.
0: This is super interesting. Is this, is this data or information that you share back with the, the companies so they can also work on the way they communicate?
1: I actually don't. I so I wrote a blog post about this and shared like I dive, dive, dove deep into this in 2017 and it is pretty consistent with that. But I don't want to in, I don't want companies to choose values simply because they think it's popular. They should choose the values that are most ac, like like most accurately representative of who they are. Um, and then more than that though, even if just because a value is popular, it means that it there's probably a lot of other companies who select, who choose it. And then you don't differentiate that way. So I almost feel like if you're a company that chooses a value that very few people select, it's maybe even an advantage just because then you're one of very few people, very few companies that, that share that value. And also it's probably something that's really important to the job seeker. So they they might prioritize that even more and it might be like a deal breaker. So I think it's
0: better to just, yeah,
1: yeah be you rather than try to be, everyone thinks you should be which is true for everyone and everything
0: (laughs) yeah definitely and uh what about you if uh, you grow key values to a point where you need to hire people what would be your key values
1: oh yeah that's a that's a good question i think about this sometimes just in terms of what it is but i would say that for sure the flexible work arrangements just because that's how i work um i yeah i I think it's really helpful and useful to be able to choose wherever you work and also choose your own hours. Um, I think the other thing is true for key values is, and this is actually part of the reason why I I'm almost reluctant to hire just yet is that I know what I would want from a company, and I'm not sure I'm I'm not confident at this point that I'm able to provide that for other people. And so, committed to personal growth is something that I care a lot about, and I want like I I mean I basically talk to people all the time who are in some type of transition, whether they're changing careers or changing jobs. And I always want to like, I think the goal is to just find companies that can really give you what you need and not just, you know, pay, give you a paycheck. And so I'm not, yeah, I I think I would care. I do care really a lot about employers being able to provide that and, and not just be a job. Um, and so I think that uh, that would, that's like my aspirational goal. Also, I'd want to be able to be a stable enough place and have enough flexibility and kind of not be in survive- less less of survival mode. Uh, but yeah. And then I guess because of that, I maybe the other thing that I personally care a lot, a lot about is supports physical wellness. Yeah. I think that's not a super popular value, but it is important to me. I think, I don't know, just being exercising and like doing that stuff together. If I were to hire people would be not only fun, but yeah. Um, would feel pretty yeah i guess it'd just be ideal
0: (laughs) yeah no that's that's amazing i do miss having a gym in my office um, yeah i totally totally get it yeah
1: yeah
0: can you tell us i don't know where exactly the url format is uh if our listeners want to go check blockstacks page on key values where should they go
1: they can go to keyvalues.com and then it's just slash Blockstack.
0: Awesome. That was that's easy. I I thought it may, be that, but
1: <laughs> you, you weren't sure. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, yeah, we can definitely provide a link.
0: Amazing. That's great. Well, thank you so so much for your time today for sharing your story with us. That was of great. Of course,
1: of course. Bye. Thank you. Bye.